And we're on. All right, I got some work to do up here. Um, okay, I'm going to move this. I'm going to throw out my gum. Okay. Um, hey, folks, so um, d- before we, we get started in earnest, I would like to um, just say something to you quickly that, uh, that um, Bettina mentioned about the accident over the weekend, and I just want to um, encourage y'all that um, when someone your age dies, that can be a hard thing to, to process, especially if you think of death as something that happens to people that are old. So um, I'm here. If you, if you want to talk more about that, if that, um, that strikes you as really difficult or um, you just want to sort of process that some more, please feel free to get in touch with me. So I'm, I'm here. Um, feel free to Facebook or uh, email or call or whatever, okay? So, um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, my mom sends me things like this. So uh, we have some Easter egg candles, okay? Uh, well, whatever. Okay, so Easter egg candles... I have three of them. No, I have four of them. Uh huh. Okay. Different colors, right? Uh, and then a couple of a little bit before Halloween, this came in the mail, which is, uh, as far as I can tell, a tiger wearing a Halloween costume, yeah. going trick or treating. And I was like, "Oh, that's cute." And then I opened the package some more, and there were tiny tea light. Uh, corresponding matching candles, uh-huh, and um, look, here's like the, the tea light version of the same small candle, amazing, and so like seriously, uh, these packages arrive at my house, and <clears throat> this is the thing, I used to be very annoyed by that from my mom, because I'm like, mom, for real, like how many candles does a girl need, um, and how many like decorative candles, because then I can't burn, the- okay, especially this one, let's talk about burning this one, like most depressing candle ever, so when you're actually enjoying it and putting it to good use, you're decapitating it and slowly watching death happen, and somehow that celebrates Halloween, boo, so um, you can go ahead and start the, uh, are we, are we, yeah, okay, um, so, uh, here's the thing, that used to really annoy me, my mom, my mom would, she would send me these things, and, um, she's also the kind of woman that, like, has, uh, literally decorations for each and every holiday, for every holiday, humanly possible, she decorates the house, and, uh, this is, like I said, I, this sort of bothers me, I'm not that way, I, like, Whatever, I'm just not that way. So um, call it what you want. Uh, so recently, though, it became more important for me to start celebrating seasons. And actually, I, I've started to understand why my mom is so insistent on decorating the house and celebrating with me uh, different seasons. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Because mo- many of the churches that we attend, um, most of the ones that the folks here attend the main ones here in town and the one that I go to are what well, we say they're, they're less liturgical than churches used to be they're low church they're not as high church and what I mean by that is uh if you've ever gone to a church where 
the prayers are already written out for you and you read them, that's kind of, that's, that's liturgy. That's a, it's a higher church kind of thing. Like when we just prayed now and we just sort of prayed whatever struck us, we weren't reading a prayer. That's like a low church kind of thing. And so high churches, uh, more liturgical churches tend to do a better job of celebrating seasons, okay, and celebrating different times of the year. So um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that, I, that we sort of miss, actually. I like the kind of prayer that we do, and in fact, that's my favorite way to pray. But I think we kind of miss seasons and celebrating things, go by, things going by. So um, you can go to the next slide. If you walk into Duke Chapel right now, you'll notice that there is a, um, there is a big wreath right here. Okay, thanks. Awesome. Okay, see this wreath right here? It's hard, but it's right here. Okay, and then go to the next slide, please. All right, there's a close-up. Oh, geez, okay. All right, here is what we have, my friend. You can, this is, this was taken as of today, yes? You can walk into Duke Chapel right after we leave here, and you can go see this for yourself. Um, so you see a big, a big wreath hanging there, okay? That's, that's what it looks like, fantastic. Now look at me. Okay, um, so Advent, what, what we're in right now, Greg mentioned this a few times in worship, we're in the season of Advent. What is Advent, you ask? There are four Sundays before Christmas, and that's what the church is celebrating when we celebrate Advent. So the theme of um, oftentimes the theme of sermons and worship and readings and teachings is to prepare for the second coming of Christ while commemorating the first coming, which happened at Christmas time. So Advent reminds us of the first time that Jesus came and was born. And in celebrating that, we're also remembering that he is going to come back a second time and knock it out of the ballpark and take us to a great place. So Advent, that word is actually, it comes from the word for coming in Latin. Latin. Why did I say it like that? I do not know. Latin. Um, The word for arrival. So get this. Christians believe that the season of Advent serves as a reminder, both of the original waiting that was done by the Hebrews for the birth of their Messiah, as well as the waiting of Christians for the second coming of Christ. So it's dual purpose. We sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Fantastic Advent song, right? It talks about people waiting for Emmanuel, which means God with us, to come. Um, so this whole Advent thing starts with an Advent wreath, and you light a new candle every week. So there's four candles around the outside, and then one big candle, which you would light on, uh, well, it depends on where you are, but Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, And so each week you light a a new candle. So the light is growing. There's an accumulation of light, if you will. And that is supposed to represent the growing anticipation of Christ coming into the world. The wreath is usually circular, which means like God uh, and like wedding rings and such, that uh, they they don't have a start and don't have an end. And and then each candle kind of represents a different thing. So right now, uh, the first candle represents the prophets who spoke of Jesus coming, 
Second candle represents Bethlehem, the city where Christ was born, and what, which was the prophets talked about Jesus coming from. The third candle, third week, would be a shepherd's candle. Fourth, angel's candle, all the people involved. And then Christ's candle. Okay? So, here's the thing. Um, I grew up in the Methodist church, which is a little bit more high church. Uh, it's a little bit more liturgical. So I vaguely remember some of this, but then there was a long time when I didn't go to church. And uh, so I've kind of been missing this. So last year I decided I'm going to celebrate Advent in my own home. So I went to Dollar General. Yes, I shop there. It's a great place to run in and get things. I'm not going to lie. And I made my own Advent wreath because I don't have a lot of money. So I made my own. And I Googled, and you can, do, you can Google this too, and I would highly recommend it, free Advent Bible study. I was like, we'll just see what comes up. How many crazy people are there out there? And it would turn out to be this really great Bible study, totally made for kids, but I totally loved it. It was so good. And, it, and, and I actually just checked. So you can do it too. Just Google free Advent Bible study. I did this a year ago. I met the Lord it, like so clearly in that Bible study. It was awesome. It's like you have, you have like three days to finish an assignment, which is like my kind of work, right? And uh, there's coloring involved, which I also like. And there's inductive Bible study, which some of us know. And so I would recommend you go Google free Advent Bible study, and you can, we can talk about the passage that we studied, because uh, it's great. It's really good. And uh, what was so cool about that for me last year when I started celebrating Advent in my own home is that December started to feel a lot different than November or March or June. Like, sometimes when I'm just in my world, every, the thing that defines my calendar is how much, what the work that I'm doing at that time, which maybe you have, you know, a little bit of what I'm talking about. The only thing that distinguishes day-to-day is what class you go to. And it was really cool for me to let the Lord distinguish my month instead of my responsibilities. Also, it was a way for me to wait for Jesus actively. Actually, before learning to celebrate Advent, I'd always thought of waiting as a passive, inactive thing. Waiting for something has felt like I'm doing nothing. Um, But Advent taught me, and what I want to explore more detail tonight, the notion of biblical waiting, which is often active waiting. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture to get at this. And uh, as you can see, or maybe you, uh, it was up there earlier, um, we're going to talk about how tenting, living in Cayville, Cayville tenting, reminds us of how to wait actively. So you got to stay awake for it. Sorry. Just, I'm not going to tell you that right now. So um, that's the whole question we're trying to answer tonight. Is it possible to wait actively? Is it possible to wait actively? Can waiting be an action? Because most of the time, you're like me, right? When, when I'm at Chick-fil-A here on campus, and, um, and I've ordered, and I'm, I want some fries, because they're so golden and delicious, but you have to wait for the fries to come out, right? And so, like, everybody's standing right there, like, waiting on the fries, and you're, like, trying to be like, okay, this is, I'm a Christian now, too. I can't just turn it off, so I can't be impatient and, like, butt in front of people, but I'm trying to get some fries and got somewhere to meet, blah, blah, blah. So um, waiting for fries feels like I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Or when you're, for example, and, and some of y'all might not know about this, but in the spring, LDOC, the last day of classes in the spring is a big deal. There's a T-shirt that comes, on, comes out at LDOC, somebody, and you wait in line for, for LDOC T-shirts. And people 
Like, they take the boxing gloves off and they bare knuckle beat each other up for LDOC t-shirts. So when you're waiting in line for a t-shirt, are you not doing anything? Or maybe you're waiting at ePrint. And the person in front of you is apparently printing out the billion-page healthcare reform bill in <laughs> Spanish or something, and you're waiting, and all you have is one copy, and you're just waiting, and you're not doing anything, right? So that's how I always thought of waiting. But I would like to suggest that many important and good things can't be given to us right away. Instead, we've got to wait on them. I'm going to say that again. I would like to suggest that many important and good things can't be given to us right away. And we've got to wait on them. In fact, God is the giver of all important and good things. And the kind of waiting he asks is not the kind of waiting that we often envision. In the place of inaction, there is hopeful, intentional, invitational action. Let's start off thinking about the college campus. What kinds of things are y'all waiting for? I can think of a couple of small things you might be waiting on. Maybe you're waiting to take a certain class that seems really interesting, but you can't get into it yet. Maybe you're waiting to move from east campus to west campus so you don't have to ride the bus as much. Or east to central so you can cook. Or cook for other people. Um, maybe you're waiting because, like, you have a car at home, but you couldn't get it this year or whatever, but like next year you'll have a car, and then we can ask you to drive lots of people around, <laughs> because that's what we do in InterVarsity. We will make you drive your car, and you'll learn how to sacrifice with your car. Um, so there's little things that you wait on, and there are big things that you're waiting on right now, right? You're waiting on your career plans to unfold. You're not sure what you're going to do with your life. Maybe uh, you're not even sure what, what your major is, or which direction generally you want to go. Maybe you have an idea of where you want to go, but you're not sure where that actually, like where in the country you will be. You might have a general idea of what you want to do, but you're like, I could be literally anywhere in the country or the world to do that thing. So you're waiting on your career to career plans unfold. Also, another big thing that students are waiting on is who will you do life with? Some, not all, but some of you are wondering who you'll marry or if you'll marry at all. You're waiting to see who will be the significant relationships in your life. And you're waiting to see when they'll happen. Tied up in that, you know I'm going to mention this because we've been talking about it this semester. We're waiting for what comes along with marriage, i.e. sex. For those of us following Jesus as Lord, we're waiting to have sex. As we've been discussing, sex was created by God. He has the trademark. He's got the copyright on that. And so he says, in order to experience it fully, holistically, you've got to experience it within the context of a committed marital relationship. Um, one more thing. So those things could be true for all of us, but one more thing that's true specifically maybe for Christians, and I know that not all of us are Christians in the room tonight, but some of us are. You might be waiting on a friend of yours to become a Christian. Or maybe you've been praying for a long time for a family member to know the Lord. You've been talking with them, praying with them, inviting them to things, waiting to see what happens. Some of you guys who aren't Christians, you've been hanging around for a while, you're really just waiting on God to show up. Some of you are like, I'm not necessarily opposed to this idea. I just have never seen God do anything in my life. So you're waiting for God to show up. So tonight, I want you to keep all those kind of waiting scenarios in the back of your mind. 
as we talk. But if you're anything like me, too often, for me and for us, I think, impatience starts to set in when we start waiting for these things. All of us are waiting on something in one way or another. Is all this waiting inactive? Let's look tonight at the Lord's instructions to a people in waiting. And this comes from Jeremiah. Um, Now, Jeremiah is a book of prophecy in the Old Testament. So the Bible divided up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament is God preparing the Jewish people for the Messiah. He's preparing the Jewish culture for who Jesus is. In the New Testament, we have Jesus finally. We see his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then we see people trying to figure out how that changed everything, the rest of the New Testament. So tonight, this passage is, is part of God preparing the Jewish culture for, for the Messiah, which is important to know. A little bit of context here, because you always want to read scripture in context. You want to know what's going on. The Jewish people are in exile. They have been pulled away from their land. And even that is significant, friends, because when they were given land, that's what made them a people. They, had a pe- they, were, they were God's people, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you some land. And they're like, okay, now we're officially God's people. So when they're pulled away from their land, that messes with their identity a little bit. And they felt deserted by God. In this moment, when this scripture is read to them, this letter is read to them, they felt like they haven't heard from God in a long time. Because they're in exile. They're in a foreign land under a foreign king. And Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, God's prophet, spoke these words to them. So um, it's up on the screen. And just read it with me here. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says when 70 years, uh, 70 years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you, into exile. You can just leave that up there for a while. We're going to be sitting in this for a minute. First thing I want you to notice is that there are two sections in this passage, which I tried to show you visually. Verses 4 through 9, and then verses 10 through 14. 4 through 9. This is what the exiles should do right now. 
There's all these lists of things to do, right? Build houses, settle down, plant, plant and eat um, from your gardens, marry, have kids, get your kids to marry other people so they have kids, keep having kids, everybody have kids, seek the, pros- seek the peace and prosperity of the city, love it, love it, love it, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, pray. These are things that they need to be doing. And then in 10 through 14, what will happen in 70 years, 70 stinking years, 70 years, that's what the Lord's going to do for them eventually. Remember, the Jewish people are in exile here. They feel forgotten and ignored. They're in foreign territory. territory. They're under foreign leadership. They're waiting for something, anything, anything, a sign from the Lord. And these are the instructions that God gives them through his, through his messenger, Jeremiah. I want to look at this passage tonight because this passage gets at the heart of active waiting. God wants them to build houses, to eat from their gardens. He wants them to marry, have families. He wants them to settle where they are, even in exile. He wants them to pray for the places, for their places of residence. He tells them 70 years will go by before he comes to bring them back out of exile. Ooh. All they want to do is get the junk out of there. They're freaking annoyed, to put it lightly. I don't know if they said freaking back then, but I'm saying it now for them. All they want to do is get back to what is familiar, to interact with the Lord in familiar ways. They were used to hearing from him all the time. They were used to hearing from him on the regular. They were used to knowing how to interact with him and worship him. And all this has changed everything around. All they want to do is get out. And the Lord's word is simple. He just says, wait. He just says, wait for me to come to you. Just wait. But don't just sit around looking out the window. He's like, do stuff. There's stuff for you to do. Get busy. Make a home for yourself. Get to know one another. Fall in love with one another. See good things for where you are. Pray for your neighbors. What I think is so great about this is God's not just like, stop your whining. You're in exile. I get it. He doesn't respond to their complaining with impatience. No. Instead, he affirms that their desires are a good thing. Your desires to figure out your career, your desires to figure out who you're going to marry or if you'll get married, your desires for people to become Christians, oh my goodness, those are good things. Those are good desires. They are even godly desires, just like it was a godly desire for the people in exile to be rescued. God doesn't discount their desires. He just tells them to wait actively for them to be fulfilled. I think that's God's word to us today as we wait. I think this passage is also an Advent passage of sorts. We're about to go to a deeper level. Watch out. We are all in exile here on this crappy earth. (laughs) We are all experiencing life different from how it was intended to be. We have moved to a foreign land. We are under foreign leadership. This goes all the way back to our true land, the Garden of Eden, where we were in perfect relationship with God, 
with one another, with all of creation. That's our true land. We are all exiles from that. Sin came in, messed those things up. Those relationships were altered permanently. And we find ourselves, just like the Jewish people here, in exile. Jesus rescues us from this exile when he comes to earth. When we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate his birth, we're celebrating the beginning of his rescue. Jesus fulfilled verses 10 through 14 when he literally came to earth. He will come to us, and he did. We can now enjoy full relationship with God, with each other, with creation. And we're still waiting on the ultimate fulfillment of God's work here on earth. So this passage is a word to the Jewish exiles back then, and it's a word to us today. As the season of Advent reminds us to wait actively for Jesus to come and make things right. What we see from this passage in Jeremiah that to wait, especially to wait on God, is not to do nothing. He asks us to act while we wait. This may seem a little weird to think about, but we actually have a great example of this right here at Duke. You can go to the next slide. Tenting. All right, I got to give a shout out. Shout out Liz, Liz Liang. Yes, no, yes, Chantel. Shout out, here we go. Because we had an extended conversation about this one time. We were, we're talking about their small group. They, they co-lead a junior women's Bible study. We were chatting up about this, and this idea just, like, hit me. So, mad props, word. Okay. <laughs> All right, so tensing. Um, now, let me explain for those of you guys that don't know. You may be new to this. Uh, this is a strange, strange tradition. So, uh, I'll sort of break it down here for you. Um, Basketball season, a big deal, as we're getting ready to come, on, come up on, um, or it's sort of already starting, but whatever. And uh, tenting is the Duke um, practice of uh, living outside for a couple months in order to get into a basketball game, basically. That's the, the quickest way I can say it. So um, as I understand it, now correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's two, two branches of tenting. There's Tenting for just big, important games. And then there's tenting for the big, important game against Carolina, right? And so um, the notion is that you, you have a tent of people and you sleep outside and there's tent checks. And basically, it's all to form a line so you can get into the game. Did I explain that fairly? Okay. So I'm still new to this. I'm still new. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so... Anytime I taught, like my parents were here last weekend for Thanksgiving and they had never like walked around in Duke. So we walked around and I, you know, I showed them and then like, here's the Kville sign. Here it is. And I saw my mom who like, you know, we've talked about my mom candles. Um, she's just like clueless to it. And so she's, I'm explaining, she's like, so what you're saying is they sleep outside to get into a basketball game for months. And I'm like, yeah, that's basically, yes, actually, when you put it that way, yes. And so um, you should know that, and, and you probably have a feel for this, like people who aren't of Duke think this is really insane, actually. And, um, you know, everybody gets horrifically sick because you're, like, sharing this space and, uh, you know, you're in and you're out, and it's in inevitably muddy, and, like, 12 hours after setting up the tent, it's like a mud pit, and... Um, <clears throat> You guys, some of y'all will ask me, hey, like, just come over and, and meet me in Kville, like, in my tent. And I, no, I'm not going to come into your tent. <laughs> Sorry. I like floor and heat 
and space. Um, so, uh, but isn't that what's so great about it? Isn't that whole experience of sharing a tent and being outside when it's frigid and, uh, you know, working on your laptop until it dies and whatever, um, isn't that what it's all about? Of course, getting into the game against Carolina is great, except when Duke loses, as they've been doing. <laughs> Had to. Had to. Coworker. Okay. Um, but, uh, but tinting is more, it's about getting into the game, right? But tinting is more than just the game. Actually, tinting becomes an event in itself, doesn't it? You don't just tint to get into the big game. You do. That's part of it. But you also tint for the whole experience of it. And that, my friends, is why tinting is the perfect representation of active waiting. It's about getting into the game, but there are things to do and things to enjoy in the meantime. Tinting is a great model for active waiting. You make friends. You make memories. You get sick. <laughs> Before you even get into the game, you have two months worth of memories. Before you even get into the real game of enjoying God fully in relationship, you make friends, you make memories, you tent. So tonight, I would like to look at a chart to differentiate impatience, which I'm quite familiar with, I don't know about y'all, from active waiting I want to differentiate impatience from active waiting in terms of a career, in terms of marriage, whatever you're waiting on tonight, people to become Christians, whatever. So let's look at this for a minute. Here we go. <clears throat> impatience. You ask yourself, why the junk isn't it here already? Therefore, your focus is on the deficit. Tinting slash active waiting you ask, what has God already provided? And you trust in provision. It's a different thing to look at what you don't have than what you have. Second thing. I think this is a fantastic phrase. I did not come up with it. Amnesia of the now. Let me explain what that means. This is uh, one of my good friends who's on staff at the College of Charleston. Amy Weber came up with this, and I think it's beautiful. I think we all actually suffer from amnesia of the now. And that means that we are so focused on our future. Hello, pre-law, pre-med, pre-blah, blah, blah, pre-everything that we all are here at Duke. We're so focused on the future that we can't, can't cope with the now. We're so focused on what's ahead that we have amnesia of the now. We can't even think about what it means for the next 30 minutes of my life because I'm so thinking about what happens after I get out of here. So impatience is also amnesia of the now. Tenting, active waiting, is sitting in the already and the not yet. We talked about this a little bit at fall retreat, y'all that were there. We said, by Jesus' work, we are holy now, somehow, we're righteous, and we are being made holy at the same time. Both those things are true. We are already reconciled with Jesus when we believe in him and trust him with our lives. And yet, there are things within us that are still all messed up. So, we are already here. We are already reconciled to God. And yet, there are things that we still need to learn from him and change. 
impatience. What can I do to get it sooner? What can I do to get it sooner? Tenting slash active waiting. How can I ready myself for what God's trying to do? Are there steps that I can take to prepare myself for what the Lord's getting ready to do? It's not, um, what can I do to get it sooner? It's, how can I make sure I don't miss it when it comes? Let me talk to you a little bit about um, this whole marriage thing. You should not expect something from a spouse that you're not doing yourself. Okay? So if you're like, man, I really, really hope that my husband or wife does blank. Then you need to make sure you're doing blank or not doing blank. That's what I mean by readying yourself for what God's trying to do. It's not really fair to ask that of the Lord if you're not willing to do it yourself. All right, impatience. I am the Alpha and Omega. It is an individualized experience. The story starts and ends with me and my needs and my wants. Tenting slash active, waiting. He is the Alpha and Omega. We find ourselves in a bigger story. The story starts and ends with him. Not with us. Similarly, impatience, the focus is on little c creation. The focus is on the things that we get to enjoy on this earth and are here for us and are good gifts. But in tenting slash active waiting, the focus is on big C, the creator. It's a big difference because the focus being on creation very, 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 very easily leads us to idolatry. Boo, idolatry. Yay, Godology. Okay? <laughs> I don't even, there's probably a better way to say that, but seeing see this semester. The focus is on the big C creator. This last one, man. Oh boy. Whew. Yes. Why won't God give this to me? Impatience, you're asking, why won't God give this to me? Why won't God give this to me? Why won't God give this to me? Tenting slash active waiting, who is God that he would give this to me? Who is God that he would give this to me? Through this, the things that we want aren't wasted or forgotten. They're just placed appropriately within creation. Ultimately, all of this comes down to what will you worship? Your needs, your desires, or the creator? who, yes, even gave you those needs and those desires, but not so that you would bow to those, but so that you would bow to him. So let's talk about what this can mean for your life. What are the applications of this? It's actually a pretty simple application tonight, and it is to tent with us as we wait for Jesus. How do you wait actively as a Christian? Well, Anything that forces you to wrestle with who God is, is making you tent, is making you wait actively. When you're asking, who is God, that's when you're tenting. So um, ways you can do that, you can go to Urbana. It's not too late, my friends. It is not too late. We will keep shoving it down your throat. Um, seriously, you can go to Urbana still. <laughs> and actually, just so you know, more scholarship money came out as of today. So it's even more ridiculously possible. And uh, like we had more money before, but now literally we have tons of money. And uh, we would love to help you get to Urbana. So it is not too late, in fact. And uh, all you need to do is go on our chapter website, 
Click, 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 and you can find everything you need to know there from Urbana. Or you can talk to me or whatever. Um, another thing you could do is you could think about spending your spring break at the Bronx with our spring break missions trip. Um, Louisa, can you raise your hand? Okay, so Louisa is leading that this year. And uh, friends, nothing will get in you and mess you all up and make you wrestle with who God is like actually doing something like going to the Bronx. So I actually really recommend if you're like, I really struggle with being so wrapped up in my amnesia of the now that I can't think beyond it, then go to the Bronx. That's a good thing you can do. Um, Another thing you can do is think about leadership. (laughs) This will also help you remember who God is in big and, and really big and small ways. And uh, I, you can talk to folks. I would encourage you to ask C-Team. Any, anybody that's on C-Team, raise your hand while we're at it. Might as well just say everybody who is there. Okay, weak raising. Weak hand raising. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, talk to them about what they've learned about the Lord and how they've learned how to tent and wait actively for him. We need gig leaders, do we not? We need, as you're getting ready to hear a little bit later, people to lead us in prayer. We need leaders. So think about it. It's a way to um, wait actively. For those of you that aren't Christians, question for you tonight. What are you waiting for? Are the things that you're waiting for big enough? Does it just end with getting the right job or having a good marriage and family? And those things are good, but it gets bigger than that, and that's actually a really good thing. That's not a scary thing. Are you waiting to find your story within a bigger story? That whole process of finding your story within a bigger story is actually fulfilling the desires that God put in your heart. Some of you guys, like I mentioned earlier, who who aren't Christians, you're waiting for God to show up. Question, will you recognize him when he's here? What can you do to ready yourself for what God's trying to do? How can you put yourself in front of God and say, okay, if you're here for real, show me. You can do that through things like gigs, where we have Bible studies and um, groups of people that meet and talk about this very issue. You could even do that at something like Urbana. You're more than welcome to join us at Urbana. So tent with us. It's simple. Let's summarize. Advent. It's a good thing. I would highly recommend you try and celebrate it on your own and in your church and in your families. It reminds us to wait actively. Waiting actively was defined in Jeremiah for us. There are things to do while we wait. Ultimately, we're waiting to be rescued from exile, aren't we? And tenting is a perfect example of active waiting because tenting becomes an event within itself. There is a greater goal to get into the game. But in the meantime, there's lots of good things that happen. Let's pray. Um, Lord, you're the giver of good things. You are the giver of good things tonight. And I, for one, Lord, want not to bow down to the good things that you give, Lord, but I want to bow down to you and relate to you. So I pray that you would make us into people that don't worship creation, but worship the creator. Lord, would you help InterVarsity as a community find our story within your story? 
It's not just an individual level, Lord. There might be things that this community needs to repent of, idols that we hold up, um, Lord. And we lay those things before you and ask that if there are things that you want to do to us as a community to sort of put us in our right place, help us wait actively, Lord. We're open to it. So, Spirit, come and show us those things if you have it. Lord, thanks for every person in this room that you have given them good desires. And, Lord, I pray that um, you would show us where to keep those desires in check, um, when to be honest with you, Lord, and not be fearful that you're going to uh, tell us to stop whining or stop our complaining, Lord, but um, show us how to hold on to those and relate to you, Lord. And so we wait. We wait for you to come this December. We wait for you to come in a few weeks. We celebrate in Christmas. Lord, ultimately, we wait for you to come and make things right here as we wait in exile. And uh, we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.